Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. As we wrap up our series, uh, Trading Up, we've been emphasizing in this Trading Up series, moving from my way nature, nurture, however I grew up, this is the way of, of my life, to the Jesus way. And I want to always point that it's a higher, it's a better, it's a more noble, it's a more lasting and sustainable way. And uh, that's what we've been aiming at. We've been talking about different things from the pace of life that we live that I think many times is an unsustainable pace of life um, with the rhythms and the cadences and the, the demands and the expectations. And the, uh, I think even uh, um, Taylor mentioned it in this, in this gathering, this, the, the hamster wheel that we get on, that we try to keep moving and keeping up. And it's, it's just uh, unsustainable. But Jesus lived with a pace that was sustainable, that was full of joy, that did take time for the priority of life. And so anyway, th- these are just some of the topics that we've, we've talked about. We've talked about his life of prayer, not a life just with prayer. But today, I want us to enter into the narrative of last week and pick it up right there because what Jesus is calling us to today is trading up from simply uh, a man-sized, finite vision of ourselves to a God-sized, infinite vision. That's not a hyperbole. I believe God has something for us that is God-sized. It means I can't manufacture it. I can't do it. I can't generate it. I can't, uh, I'm going to need help. And you're going to hear that at the end, how we get help to do this God-sized vision. But it's also a vision that is infinite. And again, not a hyperbole. It's something that will go on forever. It's something that will last for generations. It's something that that we get to be a part of, that he could have totally excluded us, had all the reasons to exclude us from it, but he didn't. So I want to ask you a, a question I said last week. Is God's vision for your life bigger than your vision for your life? Because I want us to have a God-sized vision, both infinite and God's size and something beyond us. We live in a day when we have visions for our life. We have dreams for our life. We have aspirations for our life. But I'm afraid so much of our dreams and aspirations is simply making our life better. It's about self. How can I improve self? How can I make self better, look better, feel better, think better, all the betters about myself that I can be? It really becomes a very very myopic kind of view on life that it's a, it's really about me advancing me in life. And it's really a sad tale that that is the story that it's almost as if it's, it's our vision for our life to make a better version of ourself. And this has generated in our culture, a self-help society that is no joke, 10.4 billion with a B dollar a year industry where we are self-helping, self-reading, going to seminars and listening to podcasts and, and getting coaches for different areas of our life so that we can improve self. Now, hear me out. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying if that's the end of your vision, 
you have a pretty small vision. You have a very man-sized, human-sized vision, and God wants us to be so much more than that. I do believe that God wants us to flourish in life, okay? Flourishing is a part of, the, of God's created order in Genesis in chapter 1 and 2. He blessed humanity, brought them together in this beautiful marriage, gave them their identity, uh, all of that, yes, and he blessed us. He didn't bless the elephants, and he didn't bless the whales, and he didn't bless the stars. He blessed humanity, And that's something that you need to read Genesis chapter one and two, and you need to take that away, that there's something unique about us. And that word blessing in the scriptures is best understood in our language today as flourish. God wants us to flourish. He wants us to put us on the best path to our life that it truly can be a fulfilling, sustainable, joy-filled life. And the things that he allows us to accumulate and do and to see and experience, we're to enjoy them. There's nothing wrong with enjoying them. I read this verse a few weeks ago. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. God who richly provides us. Now, forget what else it says. Just realize that where did it originate? It originated with God. Now let's go on. With everything to enjoy. So whatever God has given you, whatever time, whatever relationships, whatever job, whatever he's put in your life, please hold that dearly and enjoy it deeply, okay? Don't get your joy from it. But enjoy life. You could, you should. A life of flourishing is just that. John 10, 10, probably one of the most often quoted verses that Jesus came to give life and to give it abundantly. I think of the idea of flourishing again, idea of fullness, completeness, that was God's intent. It's not God's intent. I don't think, again, the, God, the man size versus the God size, when he talks about flourishing, I don't think it's necessarily Flourishing means that I'm going to have a fully funded 501 or 401k. Uh, by that time I'm 50, I'll retire by 55, and then I will play golf three days a week, and I'll be on the trails the other three days a week, and I will uh, sit mimosas in the morning and my ties in the evening, and that's my life. And if that's what your life is, okay, somebody enjoys it. Uh, all right, so whatever. If that's your life, then let that be your life. But is that all there is? Is that really all there is to life? Um, I want us to have a God-sized vision. The way we have a God-sized vision is we got to enter into God's perspective. The way we enter into God's perspective is we got to get his, his eyes on things. So what do we do? We look through life through God's lens, through God's eyes. We see things as God sees them. And so here's just, a, again, a book that I read, mentioned a few years ago, a few weeks ago, as one of the top books that I've read was Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Habit number two is begin with the end in mind. I want us to begin our life, if we're talking about a vision for our life, with the end in mind. So what does the end of life look like for you? What do you want to be said of you? What do you? What will be said of you? Uh, what will be said of, of of our existence on this earth? Well, where do you find that optics? Where do you find that visual? Go to the book of Revelation, the last book written, the book that tells us about the future, that tells us about what's around the corner, if you will. And what do you see there? You see that all God's people, all God's people, gathering around His throne, worshiping from every tribe, from every tongue, from every people. 
all this is an incredible story that unfolds there. And it happened, this is not the only time it's mentioned in Revelation, but it's one of the times. And then you see the very last chapters, you see us gathering around the table at a feast with our Lord and our Savior. And just think about all the people feasting, worshiping, and enjoying the presence of God. I can't even begin to imagine what that is. I can't put words to it, to what heaven will be like. But let's say this. I want to live my life with the end in mind. That I'm going to have a perspective that I'm not just living to the end of my life. I'm living to the end of time as we know it. And what does it take? What does it look like to get there? Because see, really what should happen if we see every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation gathered around the throne, then I need to ask myself, how do I fit into that picture? Not just me worshiping. How do I fit into that picture of seeing worshipers around the throne with me of all people, tribes, tongues, and nations, and so forth? Well, Piper said it well. He said, worship is also the fuel of missions. If we understand that the mission of God, that we're not just called to flourish, but I think the second component of our God's vision, God's size vision, is that we are actually called to be and live on mission, on mission with him, on mission for him. And this is just not my words for it. So again, let's go back to last week. Last week was Easter. Last week we celebrated the resurrection of Christ. What happens after that? Jesus is walking the earth. He is appearing on the Emmaus road to his disciples and they don't even recognize him. He's walking through doors. Uh, Thomas is doubting and he's filling the, the piercings in his body. So he's physically resurrected. They're experiencing Jesus in this fully resurrected body. At one time, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, that he appears to 500 people. So when Jesus is spending his life on this earth from the time of his resurrection to the day of his ascension, he is interacting with people. And it's 40 days that he lives on the earth from resurrection to his ascension, 40 days. What were those 40 days? What was he talking about? What was he preparing for? He could have been doing a half a dozen things, but it appears to me from scriptures that he was actually probably just talking about one thing. And that one thing is what the one thing that we need to see is our mission because we're living in that time between his resurrection and his return. We need to be about what he told his disciples to be about in that time. Now here again, see, in those 40 days, he had one message. He's going to give that message five times. Five times, now think about that, five times he gives that message over the course of 40 days. That 40-day message, you break it down, that's one every eight days, okay? Once every eight days, he's saying the same message five different times, and it is the mission that he is putting his disciples on. Where do we see this? We see this in the, the Gospels from Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Uh, we see them all the way through. You see it in chapter uh, 16, verse 15. He says, go to the world. Read this out loud together with me. Put it up on the screen, guys. Uh, Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Read it with me. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to whole creation. Now, here's what I want you to do. A little Bible study method. Look for common themes, Okay. 
common messages that repeat themselves. John 20, verse 21. Jesus said to them again, say it, read it with me. Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. Matthew 28, read it with me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Luke 24, read it with me. Repentance for forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses. You hear right there some common themes that are given to us. Don't miss them. Because in these common themes, we see both a message, but we also see a movement. If you look at those verses up there, you'll find a common theme of going. Going where? Going, sending, sending me, sending uh, you. Go, beginning in Jerusalem as if it's a movement. I'm leading you on from here. See, here's the truth about what God's mission is for our life. You cannot go with God and stay where you are. You've got to be willing to move. God is moving. God is on the move and he is working. But it's also, there's a, there's a message behind it. And he tells us in there, he says, you're to make disciples, you're to proclaim the gospel, you're to proclaim his name. There's something that we're supposed to be about the years of life that we're on. Now, if you've been in church any length of time, you know when we refer to these verses, this is called the Great Commission. Because in the 40 days that Jesus was walking the earth from his resurrection to his ascension, 40 days, he's giving the same message on average every eight days. Must be important to Jesus if he's going to have to repeat himself that much. He's going to do it at the end of his life. So his time on the earth. And so, and he's going through this, this great commission that he's given for us is for every single one of us. And this is a mission that is so great. It's a priority. He says, you need to make this a priority for what you're about. Every seven days, you know what we say here when we leave out of this room? Live sent. You may get tired of that. It may just become rote memory to you. But we're just reminding us that we're on a mission and that God has sent us just like he sent his disciples. So we are being sent. It's also great in scope. It's to the whole world. All the nations of the earth. Everyone will hear. And why is this important? Matthew 24, verse 14. The gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed. It will be. Not might be someday. Hopefully it will be. Will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. You want to usher in God's kingdom faster than anything else? Get out and share the gospel. Get out and share with people who don't yet know, who have never had a chance to hear. I said there were five accounts. I've only read four. Let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts 1. We're going to begin reading verse 1 and following. In the the first book, O Theophilus. Now, who is, what's the first book and who's Theophilus? The first book is the book of Luke, written by Luke. This is the second book of Luke, written by Luke, is called Acts. And both of them were written to the same individual, O Theophilus, or Theophilus is his name. We don't know exactly who Theophilus is. There's two speculations, and it could be both and, or it could be one or. One is he's a new believer, and Luke is trying to disciple him along. Or two, and or, he is also a very wealthy individual, and he is 
literally funding the project that's being done here. Because if you read Luke and you read Acts, it is the most historically dense books in the New Testament. I mean, he covers everything in, 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 the, in, those, in those books, just about everything. Uh, he covers a, a vast majority that other, even the other gospels don't include. So just realize that Theophilus is either a new believer or a guy who helped fund the project. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up and we given the commands of the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he chosen. The apostles whom he chosen, the Holy Spirit, he says, I'm, I'm doing this work. The Holy Spirit is doing this work through the apostles that he has chosen. He presented himself alive to them after suffering many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days. I said, these are the 40 days. Here they are. Speaking to them about the kingdom of God. Now hang on to that kingdom of God statement. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, and you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. And when he had, and when they had come together, they, his disciples, the 120 in the upper room probably, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Jesus has just been talking. I point this out. Jesus has been talking about the kingdom of God. They're wanting to know about the kingdom of Israel, okay? They're not the same. The kingdom of Israel is the kingdom of Israel, okay? It's Israel. But the kingdom of God is much broader than one people group, one nation, one geopolitical system. And so he's, Jesus is focusing on that. They're focusing on this. And he said to them, it is not for you to know the time of the seasons. Your father is fixed for, uh, for his, by his own authority. But you, this is what you need to focus on. You need to focus on, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, they looked up and boom, he was lifted up in the cloud. You talk about levitating, he is doing it right there. In a cloud and they took him up uh, out of their sight and they were gazing into heaven as I would be doing at the same time with them. Thinking he's gonna come down. He went away for three days. He's gonna come back down and two men show up with white robes on and they say, men of Galilee, why do you stand there looking to heaven? This Jesus who is taken up into heaven will come in same way as you saw him go into heaven. So a beautiful story of a climactic moment of Jesus's ministry on the earth. But so what for you and me? Because what he unfolds right there in that passage of scripture gives us the vision of God, the components, if you will, of God's vision. And, and listen, you don't want to separate out any of these components to God's big vision because these all go together. It's like baking a cake and not putting an egg in or not putting a, a oil in and all, whatever uh, that you else put in the cakes. Uh, and you miss it, you miss out one of those components, it won't taste the same. And it doesn't fit the same without these components. What are the components? Number one, the component of people. All right, people are a part of this. Notice that when you look at this, he refers to the people that God has chosen. 
The Holy Spirit chose them in verse 2. Listen, any organization will tell you that the most important asset in any organization is the people. The people make it up. Apostle, the apostles whom he had chosen in verse 1, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 2. Who are these apostles? Are they some magna cum laude graduates from some Ivy League school? No, you know the story. They're fishermen. They're uneducated. They probably didn't even have a secondary school education. They maybe couldn't even write their names. We're not talking about very educated, wealthy nobles born that God has chosen. God has chosen common people, everyday people, blue-collar people, uneducated people. And what he's going to do with these people is incredibly supernatural because they're not living their vision, they're living God's vision. Look what it says a few chapters later in Acts chapter four, verse 13. This is what people were saying about these commoners. And they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they perceived that they were uneducated. So they're probably, their, their language was a little broken, their grammar was a little out of joint, things like that. And they were just common men, but they were astounded. They were just common they weren't, the, they weren't the smartest. They weren't the sharpest tools in the shed. But they were just common people. Here's a life principle for you, friends. God does uncommon things with common people. God can sometimes do more with a commoner than he can with the, the most high and mighty, the most educated. I'm not saying that we ought not pursue education. I'm all about education. But the point is, is that if I'm relying on my education, no, no, I need to be listening to God's calling on my life. The, what God is going to end up doing with these guys and these, these women is going to be life-changing, revolutionary. Acts chapter 17, a few chapters later, different people, but still apostles uh, of, of Jesus says, these men have turned the world upside down. These were common people that God was doing uncommon work, turning the world upside down. What does God want to do with commoners in this room right now? Who are just saying, listen, I'm a follower of Jesus. I want to be used of him. I'm just a person. A passage that meant a lot to me in my early calling into ministry was 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 and following. In fact, I'll say that this was the linchpin of my calling was this, these words that I'm about to read. For consider your calling, brothers, sisters. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you are powerful. Not many of you are noble of noble birth. But God chose the foolish of the world, to shame the wise. God chose the weak of the world to, sh to shame the strong. God chose the low and the despised of the world, even those who are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast. Listen, God wants to use you. God wants to use you in an incredible way. But if you're full of yourself and if you can do everything that you can do for him in and of your own strength, then you can boast and get the glory for it. When God called me into ministry, he was calling me into vocational ministry. Let me just say this. I am called to vocational ministry, but we're all called to ministry. Every last one of us. And we might be going, I'm unqualified, I'm unfit. That's exactly the voices in my head. I felt unworthy. 
because I knew what I had done wrong. I knew how I'd lived my life and it was not a Christ following kind of way. I felt unworthy. I felt incapable. God, you can't use a dyslexic with a sixth grade reading education to stand on a stage and teach people about Jesus on a Sunday. How in the world can that happen? I'm not capable. I'm unworthy. I'm unqualified. I don't, I don't see how I could ever be qualified to take this book and to teach it to a bunch of people or to lead someone to faith in Christ, to help someone come to, to a relationship with Jesus. I don't see how I can do that, how I can be a part of that. And God says, you know what? You're perfect because you don't see how you can do it, but I see how I can do it through you. And it was through that passage right there that God gave me the sense, the calling that God, you can use me. So people, part of God's components of his vision is also power. Don't separate out the power. Where's the power coming from that you're going to do the ministry? Look at verse four and five. So while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. I love that contrast. You're going to go to all the nations and all the worlds and you're going to tell all the world about Jesus. Yeah, but just wait. Don't go. For the promise of the Father, which he has said to you, you heard from me. And John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I love the idea that, listen, if I'm going to be a part of God's big vision, I, don't, I can't do it myself. You can't do it yourself. I need the power of the presence of God in me. It's the only way it will happen. It's the only way it will be lived out in me. Two times, you see it right here in one, and you also see it in Acts chapter 11, the idea of baptism of the Spirit is mentioned. But you're also going to find in chapter 4 twice, also in chapter 9 and chapter 13, you'll talk about being filled with the Spirit. Then there's other times the Bible talks about being anointed by the Spirit. Are they all three just the same thing? No. There are three different things, three different events. One is the baptism that happens whenever you become a follower of Jesus. The Spirit of God immerses himself inside of your spirit. You become immersed in his spirit. He moves in, takes up residence in you. And this is why when I talk to somebody about they make the decision to follow Jesus and they pray and receive Jesus, it's like I ask this question all the time. Are you saved? And they'll say, yes. Now, how are they saved? How do they know they're saved? And one of the reasons, not all of the reasons, but one of the reasons is that there's a difference inside of me. I want to tell you right now that that sensation, even though you're not going for the sensation, that feeling, if you will, that, that extra voice in your head, that's the Spirit of God moving in, taking up residence. The Scripture talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. For, one, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. So the baptism is that, that spirit of God saturating us. First, you're baptized, but he also were empowered by his spirit. The idea of being filled by the spirit is walking in the spirit, controlled by the spirit. It's literally our day to day is being lived out in the presence of the spirit of God. And we are to continually be filled with the spirit of God. But there's a third one, and that's the anointing. So whenever God anoints me for the work that he has called me to do. Now, let me just say this. And you read through the book of Acts. 
Who is the central character in the story of the book of Acts? Some would say it's Peter. He preached the first message in the book of Acts. He founded the first church in in Jerusalem. He's the central figure. You don't read past chapter 16, Peter's name even mentioned. It's not Paul, even though Paul is dominant major player in the last part of, uh, 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 of Acts, but he doesn't become a follower of Jesus until Acts 9. The central number one figure in all of the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit. Mentioned 59 different times. That's on average of two times every chapter. You can't come to the, the book of Acts and study the book of Acts and study the life after, after Jesus on the earth and miss the Spirit of God. Verse eight, it says, and the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. What does that mean for you and me today? If we're gonna live out the vision and the mission of Jesus in our life, it means that God's spirit is gonna strengthen me when I feel weak. I feel like I can't, I can't share my faith. I'm I'm inferior. I may mess up. If you only understood the number of times that I've messed up sharing the gospel and how God somehow works through my mess ups to help one person become faith in Jesus, I can't count for you the number of times. I've misquoted verses. I've, I've given the wrong references. I've said the wrong thing at the wrong time. But God somehow hits straight licks with crooked sticks all the time. And that's what he does. He takes our weaknesses and he makes them strong. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us who while we are still weak, while we're weak, God's Spirit's moving in and taking over. God's Spirit gives us the whole, gives us the words that we need. So you're in this opportunity with somebody at school, at work, or wherever you are, and you have the opportunity to share the gospel with them. You think, I don't know what they're going to say. I don't know the first words I'm going to say. You can go through all the trainings in the world, and you're going to get into that moment, and I'm not going to know what to say. Well, Luke 12, 12 is your verse. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in the very hour what you ought to say. He's going to give you the words. You just hang on it. You walk in obedience. And then finally, he's going to anoint your words. This is where God does mystical things, okay? Jesus said it like this. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news. That anointing is what God does in the task that you're about. So we're baptized. We are filled, day-to-day walking, but we're also anointed in the work that he's wanting to do. Don't forget the person. You're a person, I'm a person. God uses people. He could have used angels. He could have used a special created being to deliver his message. He didn't. He chose you. He chose you. He chose you. He chose me. He uses people. He fills us with his power, his presence, his spirit. But finally, he has a plan. God has a plan for what he is about to do, what he's going to do with us in his big scheme. Listen, God is a, God is a strategist. It's not just willy-nilly go wherever you want to go. He literally said this. He said, I want you to go to Jerusalem. I want you to all go to Judea. I want you to go to Samaria. And then I want you to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. They were in Jerusalem. 
They were from Judea. That was where they lived and grew up. They, have, they knew where Samaria was. Nobody wanted to go to Samaria. And the uttermost parts, yeah, even to the places you've never even heard of. David Platt said it like this, summed it up this way. I wanna, I'm going to send you to, to people who don't love you, to people you don't love, to places you don't know. The people in Jerusalem were the ones who just crucified Jesus and they hated him. And they hate the disciples. The, the disciples of the Jews hated the Samaritans. And, and at the same time, they're going to go to places that they've never even heard of. They're going to go to places that people don't love them, people that you don't love, and to places that you don't know. But that is a part of the mission of God. The strategy of God is to get his message to all those places. And you know what? These common, uneducated disciples were able to do through the power of the Holy Spirit working in them, giving them the words at the hour that they needed to have it, anointing their words while they were sharing. It's incredible. They started a movement. God started a movement through them that for the next three centuries explodes. For example, 40 percent, this is what historians have projected that Christianity grew by 40% each decade for the first three centuries. That's significant. To the point that the Roman Empire, by 350 AD, that there were 33 million Christians in the Roman Empire. That was over half the Roman Empire in a very short amount of time. What am I saying? I'm saying that God's vision is bigger than our vision. It is infinite. It is God-sized. He's calling us to be a part of it. We're people called by God, given his spirit, given a strategy. Say, go, go to Jerusalem, go to Judea, go to Samaria, go to the ends of the earth and bring my gospel there. Bring my good news there. There are three ways that we can join in his mission. One, with an open map and an open Bible. Open map and an open Bible will tell you where. Where do I need to go, God? Open map, what am I what looking at? You're reading the scriptures and it's talking about every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. It's talking about all the, this gospel will be preached to all the nations and then the end will come. You know, okay, where am I going? Where has it not been? Where has the gospel not gone? Well, there's this little window. Actually, it's a very big window. It used to be called, when it was literally first written, it was written called the, the 1040 box but it's actually called the 1040 window now. This 1040 window has the largest concentration of people who have never heard the gospel than any other place on the planet. This place, this window from West Africa to China, all the points in between there, it's the largest concentration of people who have, will literally live live their life, be born and live their life, and many of them will never have had a chance to learn or grow or experience uh, the gospel presented to them. So open your Bible and open a map. Open your calendar and ask when. If you don't make space in your life, if you don't make intentional space in your life to share the gospel, it won't happen. I can tell you right now, and it has not always been this way, but there's a time on my calendar, at least three days out of the week, that I am 100% on 
walking out of these doors and I'm going to a place that I can share the gospel. I'm going to a place where I'm going to be with people far from God. I'm going to hang out with some people. And so the point is that I'm trying to make is that you need to find that space in your calendar and say, this is me going into the world. Otherwise, everything else will fill it up. Find that space in your calendar. This, this next weekend is an opportunity for us to love on. On Saturday morning, an opportunity to hope in WA for us to love on our community and think about loving on children who maybe some of them have never experienced unconditional love, have never heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to have 200 and something families in this church that are coming for DHS training, and it will be DHS training, but they're allowing us to present the gospel to all those families. Plus, we're going to have activities for the kids. Plus, we're going to have activities for, uh, that we're going to do in the community. This is an opportunity for you to put a spot on your calendar. Open your life and ask with whom. Do not think you're going to do this alone. Do not do this alone. This is a church thing. This is the body of Christ coming together as a movement of God, about God's movement. Um, I want to close with a story of an event that happened uh, 490 B.C., when the Persians lost to the Greeks, the Persians, you got to remember, they were ruling the world for 200 years, 150 to 200 years. They were ruling the known world and, and they had conquered the known world. The, the 300 Spartans, they had conquered them and they were moving their way down to Athens, Greece, and they had almost got there and the Battle of Marathon happened. And this battle happens and uh, begins to, uh, to fight and the Greeks were able to stay them off, fight them back. And they were able to beat the Persians. It was the first battle the Persians in history lost was at the Battle of Marathon. Now, how do you get the word back to Athens 20 plus miles away? That's how close they had gotten to Athens. How do you get the word back to Athens that Persia has been defeated, that we are free and that we will live? You send a runner. And that's literally where we get our marathons from. He ran his 26 plus miles back. There's one runner, ran 26 miles back because what did he have? He had awesome news to share. He ran all the way back to Athens. He got into the city center. He told the news that, hey, we, are, we have defeated the Persians. We have won the battle and we are free. And then he fell over and died. I hope that doesn't happen to any of us, but I have to think that when Paul was writing to the church at Rome, because he was writing from Corinth, just about 45 minutes drive from Athens, that he might have had on his mind the words or the events of Marathon when he wrote Romans chapter 10, verse 15. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. It is a privilege to have this truth, and if I really believe it, to have this truth, not only here, 
but to have it here and to know that God could have called the angels and given them this task. He could have tattooed it on all of our arms and said, this is the way to follow me. He could have written it in the skies. This is the way to follow me, but he didn't. He reached into our lives and he brought us to a relationship with his son. And then he said, now, turn, go like a marathon runner and tell the good news to those around you. Would you bow your heads with me? If you do not, if you're sitting in this room today and this message about flourishing life and a life of living on mission, just it's like, I want that. I don't have that. I need that. Then right here where you're at, would you just say to Jesus, Jesus, I want you. I need you. I want a life of flourishing. I want a life of mission. I want to live a life that's much bigger than myself. Put your own words on that. And just express to Jesus, I need you. I want you. Live inside of me. But to the, to the, to the church today, to the believers in this room today, I want to challenge you. We have been given a message. We cannot set on that message and not share it. Every seven days we say live sent. Every seven days we're saying go out from here and show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. We're asking you to be a common person and share a beautiful message. Father God, thank you for calling us, calling us to be not only your disciples, but to be disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Father, don't let us sleep at ease if we know friends and family members who don't have a relationship with you. Lord, don't let us just to go on with our life seeking a flourishing, full, and a better life tomorrow. But Lord, help us to live a life with others outside of you on our hearts and our minds. You're a good God. And you're not just good to us. You are good through us as we carry the good news of you to those around us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us? Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church Podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live Scent.